love that hymn. Thank you, Ruth, for guiding us through this morning. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we've had a theme this Advent season. Many of you have been around to, to take part in this. It's been the theme of the Magi. We tried to give you some context on these wise men, who they were, where they came from, what their motivations might have been. But our primary focus has been on the gifts that they brought to Jesus. Gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh for a savior. These Somewhat mysterious magi are an important part of the birth narrative and an important part of our telling of this story every year in lots of different ways. But you might ask, what happened to them? If their actions are instructive for us in Matthew 12, that's, or Matthew 2, that's where we find them, wouldn't it be nice to know more about them and what became of their lives? Well, the sum of what we know of the wise men after the birth of Jesus comes from one verse in Matthew 12. After presenting their gifts, Matthew records that, having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Biblically, that's it. They drop out of the story. They're not mentioned again. It is important to note that where the gospel story ends, the tradition of the church often takes over. Various traditions say that there were, in fact, three magi, and that they actually had names. Their names were Melchior, Caspar, and Balthazar. One tradition says that they came from and represented the three continents of the old world, Europe, Asia, and Africa, respectively. Apparently, they were deeply affected by their encounter with Jesus and either became Christians immediately on the spot or quickly converted upon meeting the apostles during their ministry. So strong was their faith that the three of them willingly accepted martyrdom, so the tradition says. As such, they are considered saints in the church. Tradition actually tells us that St. Helena, a very important person in church history, visited Jerusalem in the 4th century, and she recovered the bones of the Magi, and she brought them back to Constantinople. They were eventually moved to Milan, and then to Cologne, Germany, where you can actually go visit them today. Now, just to be clear, I'm a little bit skeptical when it comes to the historical reality of many of these relics throughout Christendom. I'm not, uh, I'm not suggesting that these are for sure the bones of these men. But I do find it interesting that there's a tradition around these magi that the church has picked up. Whether or not this tradition is reliable is largely immaterial. What's interesting to me is that apparently the church has been interested in what's happened to these magi, just like we are. The church has been asking the same question that we've been asking, and they've been asking it for a long time, what can we actually know from the Bible of what became of these magi? What do we know about them? Well, here's what we know biblically from that one verse, verse 12. They protected the Christ child, and they traveled home by a different route than the way they came. I want to take these one at a time. They might seem simple, but we're going to unpack them. First, they protected Jesus Christ, the Christ child. Earlier in the narrative in verses 7 and 8, we read that King Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word so that I might also go and pay him homage. 
King Herod is a notoriously paranoid man. He didn't like the idea of these men from afar paying homage to a king who wasn't named Herod, right? So he instructs them to come and, and, and give a report so that he can ostensibly go and, and worship Jesus as well. But we know, and you can even sense it in this narrative, that is not Herod's intention, right? He wanted to know where Jesus was so he could eliminate him as a rival king. We know this is true because in verse 16 later on in Matthew 2, it says, When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Clearly, this was not a man who was interested in paying homage to Jesus. He instead is the architect of a massacre of innocent children. It's a difficult story to read and even more difficult for us to comprehend. Were it not for God speaking in a dream to, to Mary and Joseph, Jesus could have been one of those casualties. But because Mary and Joseph were obedient, they fled safely to Egypt. So these wise men, in their willful disobedience of Herod's request, they end up protecting and saving the Christ child. And for that, we should be thankful. Second thing, the text tells us that they return home by another route. Uh, we're not totally certain where these magi came from, at least I'm not. But we know that whatever route brought them to Bethlehem via that star, they took a different route home. They didn't go the same way back. This might very well have something to do with avoiding King Herod, uh, avoiding having to speak with him again. But there's perhaps another meaning as well which intrigues me. Maybe God continued to lead them on to other adventures by way of their knowledge of the stars, or perhaps this indicates that they have indeed been changed by their experience with the Christ child, and it changed the way they were going. It changed their course in life. So those are the two things we know. Not a lot, but I think it's enough to continue in our desire to have these wise men, these magi, inform our faith walks as well. In fact, I think that these last two acts of their biblical record are principles that we can likewise live into. We are to be like the wise men in all of their ways. Think about their story. Being faithful to follow God's leading, to search for Jesus in our lives, to give our very best to him, to recognize him as the Messiah, to worship him, and to protect our relationship with him and be changed by him. So just as the wise men protected the baby Jesus, we ought to make a daily practice of protecting our relationship with Jesus from all sorts of harm. Well, what does that even mean for us to do this? Uh, I was thinking this week about when my oldest, Quinn, was a little guy, probably four years old or so, and we traveled to California to visit Katie's sister and her family, and we took the kids to the beach and to a playground and to splash in the water and build a sandcastle and watch the surfers, and it was, a, it was a busy day. Everything was going great, and then I heard my wife shriek, and some of you know that, that shriek of your spouse. I, I don't know where Quinn is. It's amazing at that age, some of you have kids that age or grandkids that age right now, one second he was there and the next second he was just gone. Now, I had always kind of wondered what I would do in a situation like this, right? You play it through in your mind, but you kind of wonder, what would I actually do in a situation like this? Would I spring into action? Would I have a panic attack? Would I freeze? 
Would I become some sort of super dad and save the day? In that split second, I just realized that I was in a really, really bad place to lose my son. (laughs) It was a crowded beach that day, and my mind went to the possibility that someone could have snatched him and taken him away, and there was this endless water in front of us, which is totally frightening when you can't find your child. Did he run into the waves? But I don't know what it was. It was sort of this out-of-body experience. I scanned the waterfront quickly. Then I looked for any suspicious people. And then I looked at my wife and my sister-in-law, and we agreed like somehow in in some sort of amazing uh, ESP kind of way that we were going to split up and run. I don't know who said what. I was on a mission. I was yelling Quinn's name. I was looking in groups of people. I was running as deliberately as I could. About a minute later, Katie found Quinn. He was on the playground not far from the beach. And while we had some tears uh, over the trauma of searching for this missing child, I actually felt kind of good about myself. I would have probably expected me, uh, I can be a little hard on myself sometimes, I think I would have expected to freeze in that moment or not know what to do, but I had this visceral reaction. This reaction was, protect your child, Lars. Protect your son. I realized upon reflection later that as a single man or a young married man before kids, I wouldn't have even thought about the dangers of the ocean or the crowded beach or the potentially shady character that was walking by. But having a son, knowing my son, my priority was to keep him safe. I can't imagine life without him. So I see things differently and I act differently because of his place in my life. It would be patently negligent and ridiculous for me to lose one of my children at the beach and decide, you know what, I'm just going to lay out in the sun a little bit longer, or maybe jump in the water, I think I'll get to that later, or maybe someone else will take care of that for me, right? Nobody does that. But I'm fearful that this is how many of us treat our relationship with Jesus. We don't protect it. We either can't recognize the dangers that to, the, to that relationship, or we recognize the dangers, but we don't take them very seriously. The wise men, they went to great lengths to protect Jesus, and if we name Jesus as our Lord and Savior just like they did, we must do the same. Now, you might ask, why does Jesus need protecting? Well, because our relationship with him is vulnerable for us. If we aren't vigilant and protective and aware that relationship can suffer. It can go even missing. Most often, it's our persistent, unaddressed, besetting sins that make this relationship vulnerable. Perhaps it's an addiction or an attitude, an unwillingness to forgive, a looseness of tongue, an inability to treat others as created by God and loved by him. Maybe it's not a besetting sin that leaves your relationship with Jesus vulnerable. Maybe it's more of an environmental issue for you, a group of friends that discourage your faith, or a career that pulls you away from the heart of Jesus, or staying too long in a place of depression and sadness. These are the crowds and the waves and the strangers that threaten our relationship to Jesus. So by all means... Protect the Christ child. 
When you sense these besetting sins or environmental threats, go after them with fervency and passion. Hop into action. Return to Jesus and take that relationship far away from such threats. Don't return to Herod. Protect your relationship with Jesus. A simple way to do this is to have a conversation with God and ask him, what in my life, God, search me, know me, what in my life is threatening to pull me away from a relationship with with you? I trust that many of you already know the answer to that question. I know I do. But if not, I'd invite you to ask that question of God, and I trust that he's going to reveal that to you. So that's the first way that we can follow in their footsteps. The second is we should follow the wise men's example and go home by another route. The example here is that if Jesus doesn't change our course, change our direction, change our lives, then I think we have to really ask, have we encountered him at all? I say this because it's my experience that when someone encounters Jesus and recognizes him for who he truly is, the road home changes. The path of our lives changes. To encounter Jesus is to be changed. And it's to take up the challenge to live our lives in a new way. I think of the wise men and how difficult the road home must have been. I mean, the old road, they already knew that road. They were familiar with the landmarks and the potholes and the speed bumps. If they followed the old road, they could navigate their way home with probably some comfort and clarity. But that's not the way of the untraveled road or the untraveled life. A new road, an alternate route, presents us with all sorts of unknown challenges, things we haven't faced before. The new route, we have have to go, what kind of threats might lurk behind these roadside bushes? Or how many side roads am I going to be enticed to take that are ultimately going to lead to dead ends? Or where are the turns? And when will the pavement become a dirt road? And how about this? I never really thought about this, by the way. Matthew doesn't indicate that there was any star to lead them on their journey home. This was a journey that they had to navigate with God's blessing and I believe his spirit, but likely no star pointing them exactly where to go. When I think about my authentic encounters with Jesus, I can imagine returning to the life I had before, but it's hard to imagine that that would be satisfactory to me. I had to sever some friendships or quit certain activities or change rhythms of my life. I had to do some hard work to address sins in my life. It was not easy. It was often lonely. But I couldn't imagine going back to the same old place, that same old journey that I had had before that encounter with Jesus. I was changed. If this is a foreign idea to you, let me invite you to the most exciting thing ever, which is I'd invite you to have an authentic encounter with Jesus Christ. Seek him daily. Come to church ready to to meet him. Sign up for a Christian retreat or go to a conference, find some great worship music and listen to it at home, read your Bible, keep seeking him, and I know that you'll encounter him and be changed. This is how the gospel of Jesus works. We see it over and over again. And I would also say to those of you who have had encounters with Jesus and you find your your road, your path a little bit rocky and unfamiliar, I'd like to encourage you and say that you're likely right where you're supposed to be. So, what's the model of these wise men? It's the last thing they leave us. Protect your relationship with Jesus and let your life's journey change you. 
That's the model for us today. You know, we had debated on, on whether or not we were going to talk about the wise men on this Sunday or not, or if we would just go up until Christmas and be done talking about them. Was there enough content, really, to continue to talk about the Magi? But I'm so glad that we rested on this narrative a week longer, because the other alternative was to, was to do something more New Year's sort of related. But I was thinking, as, as I was watching the wise men up on the chancel here one week ago on Christmas Eve, uh, four different times throughout the day, by the way, they tended to be like third or fourth grade boys, uh, typically, all dressed up, uh, crowns, they were holding their gifts, some of them had beads and jewels hanging, and they came down, and one of the coolest things this year was Pastor Colby had the wise men in all four services actually present the gifts to the baby Jesus, and by the way, we had four amazing baby Jesuses last week, it was really fantastic, um, but I was really moved every time I watched these wise men come and kneel before the child and give their gifts to this child because there was almost like an earnestness to this gift giving that these young boys were picking up on. A sense of the journey that these magi had taken and even a sense of how their lives were changed by this encounter with Jesus. And it occurred to me in that moment that we had a sermon about the wise men and a perfect ending to Advent and a perfect ending to a calendar year and a great word to usher us into a new one. It's our prayer on staff that you, like those wise men long ago, and even the young boys and girls who, who donned the robes and the jewels and the fake beards a week ago, we pray that you too have encountered Christ this Christmas, maybe even this morning. That you have made space to come and worship and adore him, to lay your gifts before him, and to commit yourselves to Jesus. For many of us, in a couple days on Tuesday, it will, remark, it will mark a return to our places of work after vacation and after returning home from visiting family. I know for us, the Christmas decorations are about to come down, and we're preparing to get back in some sort of rhythm here. It's a new year a new beginning, a fresh start for us. It's also an opportunity to remember these last two actions of the Magi. What if part of our resolution, however you do those in this new year, is to take seriously the call to protect your relationship with Jesus Christ? What if part of our intent for 2018 is for Jesus Christ to change the path, the route, of our lives, indeed, to change us. Let's not put this lesson of the wise men away like we do the nativity costumes and the Christmas decorations. Let's return to our lives with a desire to protect Jesus and to be continually changed. And in doing so, we experience the same as those magi and walk in their footsteps. Let's pray. Lord, would you give us wisdom of what it means to protect our relationship with you? Would you give us wisdom for how it is that you want to change us? You want to change the course of our lives. May we continue to follow in the example of these magi, this faithful example of worshiping you, protecting you, being changed by you, we pray in your name.